Welcome to Wisdom Trek with Gramps. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, and we are on day 2166 of our trek. The purpose of Wisdom Trek is to create a legacy of wisdom, to seek out discernment and insights, and to boldly grow where few have chosen to grow before. Today we continue our extended series of messages I delivered at Putnam Congregational Church over the past couple of years. This message is week 32 of a 43-week series about the good news according to John the Apostle. John has a unique style and narrative as we walk with him through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. I pray that it will be a conduit of learning and encouragement for you. And Today we continue our series on the good news according to John the Apostle. We saw last week that Jesus taught us, not only taught us, but he commanded us to love one another. And in doing so, we would be elevated to status of his friend. In John chapter 15, verses 12 through 14, he says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. And as Jesus' friend now, we have that Holy Spirit, the advocate, who has taken up residence within us. And he will give us the strength to endure even when the world hates us, like these kids were picking on this other kid. And we may suffer persecution for our faith. We don't know. And our scripture today is John chapter 15, verse 18, through chapter 16, verse 4. And it's on page 1677 in your pew Bible. So follow along as I read. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, the world would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why, why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you in the way, this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates the Father as well. If I had done nothing among them, the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. But this is to fulfill what is written in the law. They hated me without reason. When the advocate comes whom I will send out to send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you will, must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All of this I have told you that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that while... You have to, when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. As I prepared this message, I had to reflect a little bit about how best to apply this passage to the church today. Most commentaries I read or, or looked at tried to frame this in light of end times persecution, that we're all going to suffer persecution in the end times. But that's really stretching the context of this passage a bit. It was focused on persecution, but it was focused on a persecution that the disciples would soon face. 
I think the best lesson from this passage for us today is that in times of peace or persecution, as citizens of God's kingdom, our life should reflect the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. And that being said, without a doubt, the Constitution of the United States was crafted on Judeo-Christian principles. And although many of the founding members had, of our nation had many flaws, they were of the same mindset, most of them, of that Judeo-Christian mindset. And that was ingrained into the founding of our country. And because of this, many Christians feel or felt that we are a Christian nation. Now, I do my best to try to keep politics out of my message because I want our focus to be centered on the kingdom of God as citizens of God's kingdom. And that we share, mostly, we focus on sharing the good news that we've been learning about in John. And while it appears that the tide in our country is shifting away from those biblical principles at which it was founded on, the same is happening in other Western nations also. The church worldwide, though, is still flourishing and growing like it never has before. We don't always get those newscasts about how well or how flourishing the church is doing in other parts of the world. And where it's doing the most, flourishing the most, is those countries where they have a lot less freedom than we do in the United States. In some countries, such as China, have very little freedom at all to worship God. And yet the kingdom of God in those countries is flourishing. It's growing rapidly. And persecution has driven that. And while I pray that we'll see a time where our country, the tide in our country that we seem to see swelling now, is turned back to more sensible biblical standards, I pray that, most importantly, that our lives will reflect what God wants our lives to reflect. Now, God may call some of us to be active in helping to turn back the tide of our country based on biblical precepts, but if we do so, we must do so by demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit to everyone we come in contact with. Instead of resorting to name-calling, corrupt politics, rioting, and constantly trying to destroy anyone who disagrees, wouldn't it be refreshing if our elected representatives exemplified the fruit of the Spirit as found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23? But the fruit of the Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There are no law against such things. Now, God expects fruit to be self-evident in our lives. I show you this bowl of apple as a representation. You can see it's evident to everyone here that this is a bowl of fruit, a bowl of apples. And our lives as Christians are to be just as evident as this bowl of apples, that we do have the Spirit within us. Our youngest son, Fred, got me this. I know you probably can't see it very well, but it's a placard of the fruit of the Spirit because he knows in my life how important it is to display that fruit of the Spirit every day and in every way in our lives. So the question is, the basis for our message today, if outright persecution does come to Christians in our nation, will you maintain a stand for Christ? Will you demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit in your life every day? 
Will you love those who hate and persecute you? The words of Jesus should be particularly relevant to us. We, like the disciples, receive his message at a time where we're really not experiencing much in the way of persecution. It's not super relevant to us as it would be in the underground church in China, for instance. But our future is no less sure than there was on the eve of Jesus' arrest. As the Savior prepared the remaining 11 disciples for the ministry after his physical departure, he urged them to draw strength on God through obedience and nurturing one another with the same kind of love that was shared within the Trinity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But he also wanted to prepare his disciples for the reality that in their lives, in their lifetime, they would suffer persecution. And while the victory of Jesus is assured, his followers are soldiers of Jesus. And the great conflict for us, as it was for them, is to, between two supernatural realms. The realm of the kingdom of God and the realm of this world system, which is ruled by Satan. It's the difference between the forces of light and the forces of darkness. Now, we live in an age where more freedom and equality has been afforded to us than at any time in recorded history. And as I've said before, I'm an eternal optimist. I'll see the good out of any situation and reframe a situation that would appear bad until it's good. But I see a possible future in a world where our lives worldwide are lifted to a higher standard. They're even higher now than they've ever been, but even a higher standard with advances in technology, knowledge, and communications. But we don't know, know what's between today and when the Lord returns, whether it's today or whether it's 10,000 years from now, we don't know how soon Christ will return. So we must plan. It's always good to prepare like the Boy Scout oath, always be prepared. We need to be prepared if spiritual persecution comes to us as Christians. In this passage, we'll discover answers to these questions concerning the nature of the conflict and our role as believers in the midst of this. So here's four questions. Who will side with the world system against God's kingdom? What will the enemies of God's kingdom do to those who oppose it? What possibility that the conflict may actually take place, that we will see persecution even in our country? And how shall we conduct ourselves during that conflict? And that's probably the most important question out of those. As we look at verses 18 and 19, Jesus identified the enemy of the kingdom, God's kingdom as the world. The construction of this Greek sentence that's used in verse 18, where it says, if the world hates you, can actually be interpreted as it's going to happen. It's guaranteed. It would be like saying, Somebody would say, a guy would say, well, if the sun comes up tomorrow, I'm going to be on the golf course. Well, the sun will come up tomorrow, so it's evident that that person intends to be on a golf course the next day. In other words, it's something that is not if, but because. So we could easily read that, book, that verse, because the world hates you. And it's because it also hated Christ. 
The world here doesn't mean our planet Earth that we live on. Instead, the world represents a fallen world system which operates according to Satan's values and is subject to the curse of sin. The world represents a portion of humanity that lives by those precepts, just like we're to live by the fruit of the Spirit. The world lives by a different standard, a standard of values that they're willing to serve to its ends. Jesus originally came to redeem the world, but he was rejected by the world. Therefore, he began to separate his own from those who were in the world. He started to sort them out, the wheat from the chaff. His crucifixion would formally declare the dividing line between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world controlled by Satan. Now, Jesus' resurrection would demand a choice. It's a choice that everyone must make, that we, would, we need to make. And it's represented, as I have several times already, by the upside-down world. We live in a world whose world system is contrary to God's word, contrary to the kingdom of God. And this is a system in the world that we live in. So should we be like the world? Or should we look at it a different way? And while there's still some tolerance in most countries for believers, when push comes to shove, we may find ourselves in conflict with those that do not like us. In fact, that they hate us. There's little, little, little neutral ground between those who are opposed to God. They don't want to accept us. They want us to become like them. The world loves to hate, or loves or hates, depending on whether one disagrees with it. The world's disposition is primarily conditional. As we see more and more, tolerance is a one-sided affair. Now, some claim tolerance, but tolerance, as long as we agree with them, they'll be tolerant with us. But unfortunately, and it's sad to see that so many of the same traits are displayed in the ranks of Christians, or those who claim to be Christians, they become very intolerant of other people. But this should not be. Not that we agree or support lifestyles that are contrary to God's word. We should not do that. But are we willing to love those who are different from us? Are we willing to love those who may even hate us? Because Christ demanded us, commanded us, to love those who hate us, love those who persecute us. Yes, the world system may be arrogant, rude, unkind, immoral, hateful, and want to have nothing to do with God, but we should be distinctively different, exemplifying the fruit of the Spirit. How will we reach the world for God's kingdom if there's no difference between us and the world? If we hate just as they hate, how can we reach them with God's love? You'll look in your bulletin insert on the side, it says the upside down kingdom represented by this globe here today. The kingdom of God is growing each day, but will not really fulfill that completed kingdom until Christ returns. And that's the picture in the middle there. The kingdom of God is already, but not yet. Christ established the kingdom of God when he came to earth. And we 
are to be building that kingdom, but it will not be f- come to fruition until Christ returns. The world system, though, is in opposition to God's kingdom. And we as believers should follow what the fruit of the Spirit says in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. I have above the picture on that side of the bulletin insert. The world system is, comes before that. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have told you before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. We have a standard that we're to follow. The world has a different standard that they're following. But unless we reach them with the gospel of Christ, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is why it's so important for us to exemplify the standard that God's given to us. Yes, we see that higher education institution and many in the political spectrum attempt to influence and control the world's mindset so that we think like their mindset is. They are antithetical to God. They would like us to have God removed from all facets of life in our modern narrative. However, we should not be shocked at this. Jesus said, I have chosen you out of the world. He chose us to become citizens of God's kingdom. So we should not be surprised if we face hatred or persecution in our life. As long as we live, as long as we live in a, a free society, we can work to change that, to turn the tide back. As long as it's legal, nonviolent, when, when we go up against these who would like to persecute us, we should avail ourselves to all the freedoms that we have. If you remember in Paul's letters, he talks about he used his citizenship as a Roman citizen to get him out of several quandaries that he was in. He said, you can't treat me like this. I'm a Roman citizen. So he used that. And we're to use our freedom to promote God's kingdom as we can. But the fruit of the Spirit should be represented in our lives at all times. So we move on to verses 20 through 24. The fruit of the Spirit is, first of all, love. And that incorporates all the other that are listed there. But the fruit of the world is hatred and persecution. Jesus promised his closest followers that persecution would be their reward for the world. The Greek term here, to persecute, means to put to flight, to pursue. The persecution, in persecution, hatred becomes a deliberate, not merely coincidental. The world would pursue Christians for the sake of venting their hatred. It is interesting, though, that in Jesus' day, where did the persecution start? It started in the religious institutions under the guise of true devotion and religion. From there, it spread into the government. So when we see our churches become corrupted, is it any wonder that our governments of the world become corrupted also? Before Jesus came to earth, the world had little opportunity to really express their hatred against Christians 
because it was the Jews were as a small segment of that. Yes, the Hebrews, the nation of Israel had killed the Lord's prophets, polluted his words, they ignored his warnings at times. They had turned his house into a den of robbers. But we could make a case, maybe a thin case for it, that they didn't fully understand or comprehend the full aspect of God. But when God presented himself as the person of Jesus Christ, the flesh and in flesh and humanity, he fulfilled every messianic expectation. He left humanity at that point with no excuse for rejecting him. The flesh of the Son of God became the occasion where the world was a catalyst. It would reject Christ and they would expose their hatred for the Creator, and thus it would consummate that sin. As we move on to verse 25, Jesus explained the reason the world was at war with the kingdom of God is because the believers are not of this world, and the world hates what it is not part of. And because the world does not acknowledge or know God, that God is sovereign, and therefore, they reject Christ as his emissary. Furthermore, the world persecutes believers to fulfill its destiny. It's listed in verse 25 of today's passage. The world is constitutionally predisposed to hate everything associated with God. Therefore, the world cannot behave in any other way. That is their mindset, just like our mindset should be the fruit of the Spirit. The earthly ministry of Jesus was one grand illustration of the truth which John foreshadowed in his narrative, even back in chapter 1 of this gospel. The Lord's abrupt mention in verse 26 and 27 of the Holy Spirit appears to be purposeful here. The Spirit's role in the believer's life is to provide a supernatural courage even when we face difficult times. Suffering often brings doubt to our minds. The Holy Spirit will testify within us that Jesus Christ is to show forth out of us to those who would prefer to persecute us or at least witness that persecution. Jesus explained the role of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers and in his plan that God would proclaim truth to the world. But speaking of the Father and the Son as separate individuals from the Spirit is really inappropriate. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are three, three persons in one God. They're all encompassing in a single God. Now, if we move on to verse, chapter 16, verse 1 through 4, unfortunately, they, when they added chapters and verses to our scriptures, this is one instance where they sort of missed the mark a little bit on separation. 16, 1 through 4 actually belong with the same narrative in chapter 15 but it's still all a part of God's inerrant word. In verse 1, it says, All this I have told you. All of what? That means back in 15 where he says, You will suffer persecution because the world hated me. It will hate you if you live like I lived. It refers to everything that Jesus said about the believer's relationship with the world. And that will be strained at best. Sometimes they'll be hostile if we proclaim Christ. And in the, apostle, the disciples' occasion, it also met their untimely deaths. Jesus revealed to the disciples that they would not be 
so that they would not be startled or stumble in their spiritual walk. He says, I don't want you to fall away. But unfortunately, they didn't fully grasp at that point. They did not take heed. And indeed, in that next week, we saw that the disciples did stumble and fall. Upon his arrest, all of them fled. During his crucifixion, most of them hid. Before his resurrection, all of them despaired. And after his resurrection, they doubted. And before his coming, the coming of the Holy Spirit, 50 days later, they faltered in their faith. But only after receiving that Holy Spirit did they become decisive and bold in their faith. We as believers don't have to go through a time where we're without that Holy Spirit. Once we accept Christ as our Savior, that Holy Spirit indwells us and begins strengthening us to stand for God, to boldly proclaim. That doesn't mean get in your face. That doesn't mean to do it in a way that's inappropriate or brings wrath on you. It means that we start displaying the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Jesus predicted that the scourge of religion would actually be what would attack these genuine believers in that first century. But make no mistake, the world system is a religion. It may not be a Christian religion, it may not be one of the other religions in the world, but it is a religion in and of itself. Indeed, religious people in Jesus' day would kill the believers thinking that they were pleasing the Lord. An example is Paul, the apostle, who wrote the majority of the, the books in the New Testament. He was among the crowd of the religious authorities who murdered that first Christian martyr, Stephen. But Christ had warned them that night that this would happen. The verse concludes in, in verse 4 of chapter 16, that is a transition and a conversation from inevitable persecution for his disciples toward the blessing of the Holy Spirit, who would give them the strength to maintain and, and hold up under that persecution. It started with the church persecuting them and chasing them down, but it soon spread into the entire Roman government, where they were having coliseums full of Christians that were being tortured, and it would be a sporting event for them, no different than our well, I, I won't say no different, but similar to our football games or baseball games where you go to a coliseum and watch a sport. Their sport was to see Christians torn asunder by wild animals or fighting the gladiators. This is what Jesus was preparing his, those first, disciple, first century disciples for. The Lord recognized that his words would have little meaning at the time that he gave them. The disciples still did not understand what was going to happen and why it was going to happen. But at the appropriate time, these words given to them from the Holy Spirit would come back to them and make sense in the, in the tribulation that they were facing. They wouldn't have to wonder why. They wouldn't wonder whether they're struggling in persecution because of some failure on their part. No persecution for them was expected. It was a normal consequence of living in a hostile territory between the conflict between good and evil. The Lord representing the kingdom of God and the ruler of this world, which is Satan. And although Christ's return may come, and we may not have to suffer persecution, we may also endure a time of persecution. It's hard to see our country or around the world, because it's not just our country. Sometimes we get so country-centric, we forget that the rest of the world's out there, and they're suffering a lot too. 
We see our 24-7 news cycles and our social media platforms highlighting all the worst that could possibly happen in, to, in today's society. The lines between satire and spite become surprisingly thin. Humor is at the expense of a particular group who they invite hatred toward, and hatred blazes the trail for persecution. Unfortunately, we see on both fringes of society those who we would deem far left or those we might redeem far right display very similar characteristics toward one another. But that should not be as citizens of God's kingdom. We must be careful that we're not swept up in the melee of political rhetoric that's so prevalent today. We should not be surprised if we again are headed for a time of persecution. It has happened repeatedly throughout history. We've never lived in a time where we have more freedom today, more accessibility to the gospel today than any time in recorded history. And God may allow that to prosper and continue on. But our application today on the other side of your bulletin insert is how can we spiritually prepare for, prep, for persecution if it does come? Christians in the Western world have enjoyed this long period of relative peace and remarkable authority founded on biblical precepts, particularly here in the United States. But we must accept that it's been an exception of the greater scheme of world history. Now, our summer in the sun could give way to dark, uh, the darkness of winter. My personality would like to say, well, it won't happen. But let's be prepared in case it does happen. If the church lives as citizens of God's kingdom worldwide, our lives are to show forth the fruit of the Spirit that's demonstrated by this bowl of apples up here today. In all of our interactions and in our work, we can still have a powerful influence to stave off the persecution that looks like it might be crouching on our doorstep today. In either scenario, whether we have persecution or we don't have persecution, it should not impact the way that we should live. We should prepare ourselves for either occurrence. Jesus explained how he would prepare his disciples for the, what was going to follow the, in their life. The first way to prepare is to rely on the Holy Spirit to provide Wisdom, ability, and courage. Verse 26, when the advocate comes, I will send, that whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. He, he the promised Holy Spirit, will provide the believers of that day and to us when we need to bear witness of Christ and do so faithfully. The second preparation we need to make is faithfully proclaim the divine truth and to stand firm. While battling immorality and pursuing social justice in our society today, those are commendable traits. Our primary mission is to be a testifier of the Holy Spirit. Verse 27, you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. And from the time we accepted Christ, the Holy Spirit has dwelt within us. And we are to testify what the Holy Spirit has brought to us. The only effective weapon against evil is truth. The Holy Spirit will bring to knowledge what we have learned through Jesus Christ and bring it to our mind and enable us to communicate his truth while we're displaying the fruit of the Spirit. Standing in truth may bring, may bring persecution in our future. The Holy Spirit will supply supernatural courage to endure whatever evil we might face, and we can do so with dignity. We don't have to become ugly in our testimony of Christ. 
The third way to prepare is avoid being trapped by evil. Verse, chapter 16, verse 1. The Greek word translated fall away or scandalizo is the Greek word for it. The main idea is to be carried away or carried by term of closing on something like a trap. I use this illustration in another passage, but like a bear trap or a rabbit trap clamping down on its prey. That's what it means by being trapped by today's society. Later, it came to mean of placing a hazard, a trip hazard, in front of somebody to cause them to fall. But I like the New Living Translation version of chapter 16, verse 1. It says, I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith, so that you'll be free to spread the gospel. Jesus urged his disciples to abide or remain in him. That is to obey the command to love one another, to avoid falling into that world's trap, which is so easily entraps us with its snares because we desire what the world has. But as believers, we're not to be trapped by what the world would trap us with. When we fail to love one another and we behave like the world, which serves ourselves at the expense of others, how can we ever reach the world? And fourth, in preparation, never forget that persecution may come and the rise of evil in our world is likely. There'll be ebbs and flows in that. Jesus warned his disciples that evil would appear to enjoy victory for a period of time. And especially this death and burial, Satan says, I finally got him. I got the Savior and he's now dead. What the Satan didn't realize is that was all part of the plan of redemption. Suffering was part of that divine plan for redemption of humanity from the beginning of the world. He suffered and died to atone for humanity's sin, not because of some specific failure on the part of us or the remaining 11 disciples. We must never forget that evil may have victory, but it'll always be short-term victories. But Christ has already conquered evil, sin, disease, suffering, death, and decay. Persecution may come, and even, like in the disciples' situation, it was fatal. But death is not the end of our life. The resurrection awaits, in which exists beyond the world's reach or affliction. We must never forget that one day, Christ will return to defeat all evil and restore his kingdom in that global Eden here on earth, as earth and heaven combine. He was vindicated through his resurrection, and we will be vindicated through our resurrection. As citizens of God's kingdom, we may be asked to endure persecution for proclaiming Christ. And at times, it does appear that we live in a world and a culture that's sliding increasingly into degradation. Even if it continues to slide, should not change how we live. We should work to all we can to prevent that slide. But three principles on how we should live in an upside-down world today. The first principle is there's a significant difference between picking a fight and enduring persecution. Jesus never sought out trouble or invited persecution in his life. Instead, he faithfully proclaimed the divine truth, and evil found him because evil always seeks to destroy truth. The second principle is the significant difference between loving the world 
and becoming part of it. We are commanded to love the world, including those who hate and persecute us. Jesus left the world to share, left us in the world to share our love with the lost. However, he cautioned to avoid thinking like the world. On the other side of your bulletin insert, do we, our lives reflect Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, or does it reflect Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23? The world has declared itself an enemy to all who believe, the world system at least. So it makes no sense to do what the world does. Your life is continually displaying or should be continually displaying the fruit of the Spirit. And when we do so, will result in what Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Your life will shine so radiant People will see the difference in you. And third principle is there's a significant difference between living in fear and exercising caution. No matter what happens in the future, good or ill, we should not be fearful of it because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Jesus knew his destiny. He knew that he would suffer the anguish of the cross and he would bear the, uh, the penalty of sin for us all. Nevertheless, he took reasonable steps during his ministry on earth to avoid being trapped, to be caught before his time came. He hid at times away from the persecutors. He kept his location private at times. And even if we do at some point in the future face persecution, that doesn't mean that we need to volunteer to be persecuted because then it becomes a selfish persecution. We want to stand strong but we also want to be as effective as possible in the future as we move forward. We must face it with courage while still having the fruit of the Spirit flowing through us. The fruit of the Spirit is to be represented in our lives, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, persecution will not prevail. So the question today is, is your life represented by the fruit of the Spirit or the world system? As believers, let us walk in the Spirit. Let us show forth the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, even when we come in conflict with those who oppose us. Let us stand strong. Let us always show forth the fruit of the Spirit. And next Sunday, we continue our lesson that Jesus is teaching us that he won't abandon us even when we face persecution as he describes in the function of the Holy Spirit, and that will be John chapter 16, verses 5 through 15 next week. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you. We thank you that we live in a country where we have freedom to worship you, where we suffer very little, if any, persecution. We thank you in so much of the world we see a freedom to be able to proclaim your name, but there's also parts of the world that are hindered that are persecuted, that are suffering for being Christians. If that ever comes to our country, Father, let us stand strong for you. Let us draw upon the strength of the Holy Spirit that we might proclaim Christ. Let us do all that we can to stem this tide of persecution, of sliding away from you, by living lives that produce the fruit of the Spirit, that show forth the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, Father. 
to everyone that we come in contact with, that we know they will know that we love them and that we care for them, Father, that they will be without excuse. May we do so in your strength and for your honor and your glory. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I pray that this message was a blessing and a time of learning from God's Word. Thank you so much for allowing me to be your guide, your mentor, but most importantly, I am your friend, as I serve you through the Wisdom Trek podcast and journal each day. And as we take this trek of life together, let us always live abundantly, love unconditionally, listen intentionally, learn continuously, lend to others generously, lead with integrity, and leave a living legacy each day. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, reminding you to keep moving forward, enjoy your journey, and create a great day every day. See you next time for more wisdom from God's Word.